What AI and machine learning really does is adds a level of statistical reasoning and learning into it. It really learns from behaviors, from data it's um, ingesting, from a variety of factors, and in a statistical way, determines how to act against it. And so what we're really seeing is that you don't need to now specify how the computer should deal with every single potential scenario. It can truly learn how to deal with it as long as you just specify for it how they should learn. And, uh... Hello, welcome to another episode of Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and in this episode... I chat with Greta Kudalenko, CEO and co-founder of Acerta Analytics, a Kitchener-Waterloo-based AI company focused on machine learning solutions for the manufacturing sector, with a specific focus on automotive manufacturing. In addition to her work as CEO, Greta is also a sitting board member of the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association. Artificial intelligence has long had a mystique in popular culture, from Lieutenant Commander Data on Star Trek The Next Generation to HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey to The Terminator. Artificial intelligence has a way of captivating our imaginations like few other bits of tech can. However, in today's advanced manufacturing ecosystem, AI is being used to improve quality and efficiency in the manufacturing process. Now, that one-sentence description I just gave, just, just now, that is about as far as I personally understood how AI worked. I needed to understand more about the actual mechanics of implementing an AI solution on a shop floor. Greta provided some answers. In the episode, we learned what AI can do for manufacturers. However, almost as interesting for me was learning what AI isn't capable of doing. It's not a silver bullet, and nor is it a one-size-fits-all solution to everything. In order to produce usable insights, an AI engine needs one thing. High-quality data. Lots and lots of quality data, and I mean a lot of it. The more, the better. And once you have a large enough data set, the AI brain can then begin to provide insights. Greta and Acerta build that brain. As with any intelligence, artificial or otherwise, the more quality data it receives, the better insights it will provide. But this is also AI's Achilles heel. See, some industries simply don't produce enough data points, either because of the nature of the final product or, more likely, the composition of an individual company's shop floor. As Greta points out, modern manufacturing equipment is already designed to output data. The challenge is upscaling or retrofitting existing machinery. Remember the challenges of adopting Industry 4.0? We did a podcast episode on that. After learning that, it made sense why high-volume manufacturing industries, like automotive, would be keen to adopt this technology, especially in a region known for quality manufacturing at any scale, like, oh, I don't know, Ontario? AI is not for everyone. It's not a universal fix to a poorly run company. You're not hiring the T-1000 Terminator to do your quality control. It can't pull knowledge out of thin air. What it can do is derive insights and knowledge from large data sets. It can find efficiencies in operations and it can help improve quality if it's fed a steady diet of ones and zeros. Now with that, here's Greta Kudalenko from Acerta Analytics discussing how she's helping all manufacturers to keep on making it in Ontario. There we go. And speaking of artificial intelligence, that voice sounded artificially generated, didn't it? 
<laughs> so welcome back. We are chatting with Greta Kudalenko. I'm. This is my second podcast episode that I'm chatting with her about uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, Greta, for the people who haven't heard that previous episode, can you quickly introduce yourself? For sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Greta Kudalenko. I'm the CEO and co-founder of uh, Assert Analytics. Uh, we're a Kitchener-Waterloo-based uh, company focused on AI and machine learning solutions for uh, manufacturing. Uh, especially focusing today on automotive and off-highway, but more broadly, uh, you know, for discrete and precision manufacturing um, in general. Um, and really excited to be here again and uh, chat with you, Nick. And thanks for coming. One of the things I remembered from our previous conversation was that artificial intelligence is, is actually a lot older than most people realize. Yeah, it started, uh, you know, they started to research into this area uh, quite, you know, a couple of decades ago now. So so from 1980s, if not a bit earlier, however, it kind of hit a lull uh, for a while because, you know, folks couldn't find applications that just didn't hit off the ground, especially in, in applying it within, you know, real industries. So it kind of got stuck um, to a degree. And then just, I'd say in the last, uh, like in the two, in the last decade, um, with some of the research and some of the advances that are even done here, you know, just in Canada with Jeffrey Hinton and some of those uh, great researchers we have here, there's been much more advances in neural networks and, you know, applicability of those solutions. So here we are now applying, you know, it in scale and in many applications and just increasingly uh, deriving value from the technology. In the interest of keeping this as, access- as accessible as possible, AI differs from typical computer programming in that co- typical computer programming is very much if this, then that, right? If mm-hmm. this condition, then do that. Mm-hmm. And you can write out millions and millions of if then statements, but it's still just an if this, then that. Artificial intelligence is, it's obviously more than just, well, actually, it's, this is where my knowledge of this falls off a cliff. Um, Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about, you know, so we go from if this, then that to AI, how does that differ? Yeah. So, so great question. So as you mentioned, you know, in typical computer science applications and most of the applications people write in today's software, it's a very deterministic, you know, set of rules. You basically tell the computer exactly how to behave in every single condition. You have to think of every condition that you kind of program into it. If we kind of go into the area where we're applying it today, you know, design and manufacturing, think of it as, you know, you thought of every possible failure on the line, you can have every possible failure components could get, and you basically write out, you know, a threshold or a rule for every single one of them and need to specify it up front. So there's no mystery in it. There's no way to deal with something that's not uh, predefined up front. And that's programming today and software today. What AI and machine learning really does is adds a level of statistical reasoning and learning into it. It really learns from behaviors, from data it's, it's, it's um, ingesting, from a variety of factors and in a statistical way determines how to act against it. And so what we're really seeing is that you don't need to now, you know, specify 
how the computer should deal with every single potential, you know, uh, scenario, it can truly learn how to deal with it, as long as you just specify for it, how they should learn. And, uh, you know, it's applicable in uh, many, you know, applications we use today, everything from Netflix recommendation engines to many other, you know, advertising, you know, decisions. Uh, but it's especially, you know, applicable in the manufacturing uh, environment as well, where, you know, every component you're producing, you're collecting every dimension, every torque you've made, every stamping pressure you've applied, and you can truly learn, you know, what it takes to produce good parts. I suddenly feel the need to impress that Netflix algorithm with a bunch of intelligent documentaries now. (laughs) Well, as long as you want to watch more of those. (laughs) Yeah. So Greta, let's get into a hypothetical here. Let's say Mm -hmm. I am the owner of Nick's widgets and I make Mm -hmm. widgets for car parts. And I've finally been brought around to looking into the idea of getting artificial intelligence onto my production floor. I knock on your door and I say, hi, I'm Nick from Nick's widgets. And I would like to install AI on my shop floor. Mm -hmm. What is the next step? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So even in AI and different applications today in manufacturing, there's a ton you can do starting, you know, from monitoring your machinery, optimizing your schedulers, optimizing your inventory, um, the thing that Asserta focuses on the most on is truly addressing quality and process quality and efficiency. So what we look for is what data are you collecting or what data is available on your production floor, meaning for every step in the process, for every operation you're making, what can we extract you know, from the machines that are making those operations from the MES systems or manufacturing execution systems from a variety of, you know, testers you have in place. We extract that, aggregate it, and then apply the machine learning and AI and truly use the data to understand, you know, what is happening across the whole process, what is being done to every single part that's coming off the line and use that to drive, you know, uh, intelligent insights about where problems may start occurring, where they have occurred, and why, based on the data. And the fun part, kind of as we just spoke about, we don't have to know all of the ways that things might go wrong ahead of time, and truly learn that from the data that's being collected, and the system continuously learns and, and almost works like that recommendation engine in Netflix, it starts recommending you where to look, what to prioritize, and what you can do about it. So are you saying that your AI software or AI software could potentially make recommendations on how to run your shop? Yeah, especially kind of it learns over time um, where some of the efficiencies or inefficiencies are coming from. And then it starts recommending, you know, hey, your operation here you know, your probes aren't working well, or it's, you know, creating micro stoppages on your line and that you need to look at, or if you're experiencing certain, you know, downstream failures, hey, it's these few operations and these few signals that are constantly related to it. So it can point directly where the engineer should look and what they should um, prioritize dealing with. So getting back to my hypothetical shop floor. Mm-hmm. We, so now I've got, you know, my widgets get made via a stamping machine. 
I've got uh, a few mills, a few millwrights working, uh, stuff like that. A little bit of, uh, you know, waste collection and things like that. Mm-hmm. What's, you said it's all about collecting different variables and collecting mm-hmm. different data points. Mm-hmm. So for that owner of that company, mm-hmm. what sorts of data points would you recommend? Like, let's just say you're starting, you're just starting mm-hmm. and you just got it. You know, I, I love it. I've just learned a little bit about it. I want to jump in. What's step one? You know, and maybe I'll, I'll make a bit of a analogy um, as well. Like if you think about it, um, um, let's think of a person and their health. You know, these days you have all sorts of uh, little, um, you know, your, your Apple watches, your Fitbits, your rings you can collect. You can start collecting data about, you know, how many hours you slept, how, what your heart rate is, you know, how much you walked. Um, all of that, you know, are good indicators. We're not using it today just, just yet to figure out, you know, the overall health status of a person. But you can imagine how over time that can help you start figuring out, you know, how is that correlated with your, with your health? We similarly think about it from a manufacturing perspective, you know, what you have to start thinking is what are the key indicators that would allow uh, you as a manufacturer to figure out the health of your line or drive, uh, you know, understanding if something goes wrong. So that could be, you know, your your force applied on that stamping machine or understanding how much electricity it's consuming. It could be the dimensions of the final parts that are coming out. Basically, it comes down to, well, what are the critical um, measurements or critical, you know, indicators that you would want to collect from your operation and from every part you're producing? Um, Of course, some of them are too difficult to collect, uh, but others might be already, you know, available to you from the floor and you just might just not even know about it. You know, majority of um, manufacturers have used um, typical statistical process control tools in the past. And often we find, you know, to run some of those, you already have to be measuring certain things. And those are great places to start. Um, so starting to look at, you know, the measurements you already have, analyzing, you know, what are some of the critical measurements that you think you should be making during your process, um, and then leveraging a solution that can aggregate it all across the line. You know, traditional tools today, they kind of operate in a lot of silos. They, you know, you get this one pressure sensor, it analyzes that one pressure sensor. But majority of the production lines, they're not uh, siloed single step operations, at least not anymore, as we're producing, you know, more, com- more complex part, more electrified parts. You know, even the parts we're producing, they're all smart these days. So talking about tons of potential sensors that they're leveraging to operate. So starting with all of that and using a solution that leverages all that data to start understanding, you know, what's the health of every part, what's the health of your operation and your line, and then can recommend you where to look and what to focus on in case anything's not operating optimally. So let's talk a little bit about your work with the APMA. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are currently a board member, is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yes, I am. (laughs) Nice. So what exactly, what is it about the automotive sector that Mm. really... I mean, I can, I can assume some of my own things, but I really want to, like, there's probably a bunch of things that I haven't thought of. What is it about the auto sector that is attracting AI? Yeah, no, uh, it's actually a lot of things happening in the auto sector that make it an acute need. Um, I'll just start with the first few. One is the huge transformation into electrification. 
Um, you know, automotive is experiencing that at a speed that's, you know, 10 times in my view than most other industries today, you know, starting with, you know, just electric vehicles that are coming to the market, you know, every manufacturer is making huge investments to get there. And what that means is every supplier has to get there. Every supplier who's in traditional parts needs to consider how do they get into electrified parts. So tons of transformation because of that in the industry. And what that also means is that for ICE components, these manufacturers had decades to get to a very stable, reliable production, stable, reliable quality. With EV components, fuel cell components, basically anything that's electrified today, you basically have a couple of years, you know, <laughs> to get there. And most suppliers are struggling. Um, and, you know, we're already seeing certain uh, huge recalls happening, like the LG GM recalls with both vehicles. And every manufacturer who's getting into EVs today, they want to avoid that. So that's one huge reason uh, why we're focusing on it. I'd say the second of which is just huge production volumes and a very uh, high reliability and precision need. Um, you know, vehicles touch every part of our lives and they need to be safe and they need to be reliable. That's like expected these days. So if you're not a reliable manufacturer, your brand suffers significantly. So Automotive has this, you know, continuous improvement need that they're investing into. And I think they do that best in class as compared to every other industry. And I feel like every other industry truly then starts learning from the automotive industry. So I think they're ahead in terms of testing this out and truly, you know, productizing some of these advanced technologies. So I, I, I just had a possibly a mini epiphany or a big realization mm -hmm. ai works better with more data and more data correct. points right correct yes okay so when you're working in an auto plant and you're pumping out you know nick's widgets and you know you're pumping out hundreds of thousands of them yeah. versus pumping out maybe 10 Two wing assemblies yeah. 10 wing assemblies or yeah. yeah okay so it works best when it gets a lot of data yeah, because it can learn better. If you think about it, if you only have a couple of data points, it's really hard to make a determination that something is better than something else, you know, and to truly learn from it. And that's where you need to almost rely more than on the person's understanding of the deep details. But, you know, automation and AI truly works better when you have higher volumes. Now, a lot of the components that are being put into aerospace manufacturing there or aerospace systems, they're not too different from those in automotive. They're just bigger in size and work. Um, they're, of course, designed differently, but from a data perspective, work very similarly. So there's ways to then transfer some of the learning that you have from high production volumes into low production um, manufacturing, but it's really hard to get AI started if you have very low production volumes and you have no other similar data out there for it. So would it be accurate to say that AI might not be the solution for every manufacturing situation? And here's why I say that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to think about other products that need manufacturing. And one that comes to mind immediately is musical instruments. Mm, okay. So for example, um, 
I've got a guitar back there. It's a Gibson Les Paul. When I bought it, I had one of the, uh, my, my friend was working at uh, the shop at the time and he managed to pull two identical guitars off the rack at the same time. He looked at one, looked at, he's a guitar tech. So he knew what he was talking mm-hmm. about. He looked at one, he looked at the other and he's like, you should buy this one because mm-hmm. there was a variance between the two identical mm-hmm. looking guitars. Now, mm-hmm. as much as I love guitars, they don't have the same volumes as cars. So yeah. would they benefit from AI? Do you think they would benefit from AI? Hmm. No, that's a great question. Um, so two things then it's one, it comes down to how manual is the production? Cause if the production is very manual and the data is not being tracked, you have a bunch of issues. Of course, you can start track asking the, the line engineers or line assembly operators to collect some of it or write it down, but you're introducing a ton of human error, potentially even just in the measurements or in the data itself. Um, so that's the first, I'd say, um, potential bottleneck to getting it out there. But if, let's say, and I don't know much about guitar manufacturing, unfortunately, but let's say it's all roboticized and every guitar is assembled, you know, in an automated process, all the wood is cut in an automated process, you know, all of the assembly or gluing operations are automated operations then I'd say definitely you can leverage AI to better control your process. You can um, automatically determine, you know, how to make offsets, how to keep it within a certain precision. Um, And it can definitely help you manage that process better. So let's talk a little bit about Ontario. Mm -hmm. Where does Ontario fit? And this is a very broad question. Feel free to take it anywhere you want. Um, Mm -hmm. Where does Ontario fit into the broader uh, AI discussion. Are we ahead? Are we behind? Are we leading? Are we innovating? Are we following innovation? W- w- where do you think we are? It's a great question. Um, and uh, I'd say my view of it that in Ontario, we're very conservative uh, in terms of applying um, such in a, like such advanced technologies. Part of the reason is, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's expensive to bring manufacturing facilities into industry 4.0 right because you're talking about you know getting equipment that's capable of making the measurements you're talking about integrating that equipment to um, IT infrastructure um, and having good internet connectivity in these facilities um, and depending of course on uh, how you know that level of investment differs say from keeping things going as they are and the labor implications kind of in comparison a lot of the times it's not yet critical for manufacturers especially in Ontario to start implementing it not critical yet but I think it's a uh, something that of course is making us long term less uh, competitive in the world Uh, But that's a longer discussion. But I'd say in my perspective, you know, a lot of the uh, European manufacturers, a lot of the North American, so U.S. manufacturers are quite ahead and have much more digitalized um, facilities that we have here in Ontario. Again, depending, of course, on uh, margins and how well we can continue to compete, that might not be an issue yet. But my view is that as we go again into the electrification direction, 
well, one, it'll be easier to, to produce all of that because a lot of the electrified lines, they're new lines that are being built. It's much easier to bring advanced technology into those lines from the get-go and that way, you know, implement AI, machine learning, and other advanced analytics. So it'll be much easier. But in terms of current lines, I'm, I'm finding the major kind of driver of bringing in innovation is really, you know, labor shortages right now. So, so we're seeing a move, but I'd say we aren't um, right now, at least in the auto sector, we aren't the, the first movers. So you mentioned that AI can be expensive. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about why that is. Like, I, I understand the difference between one microphone versus another and why one microphone is more expensive than another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also understand why installing one piece of software is more expensive than another, because tell me a little bit about the costs involved in installing. Let's just say Nick's widgets, it's big enough. We've got the volumes, fine. What's, what, are sort of, what, what are some of the costs associated with this? Yeah, and I'd say most of the costs maybe don't even come with the AI software itself. Uh, I'd say it more comes down with the sensory technology you have in the line and how you know, capable the machinery is to, to collect the data or how much have you done in terms of integration from your CNC machines, your PLCs into data storage, even like a local database, because um, I'd say that is the more expensive piece. You know, some manufacturers, especially tier twos, but all even tier ones, you know, uh, I know a lot of machineries purchase secondhand It's older machinery that sometimes can be reused because it's cheaper machines, very advanced machine today that can go for as much as half a million dollars that contains all of the advanced technology. So just investment into data collection can be a big hurdle for some manufacturers. And especially if they're not considering that the production, like the products that they're producing, let's say have a shelf life making that level of investment, it, it's a big lift. So it's kind of exciting that we're moving into electrification because that's a big opportunity actually to make those investments um, and bring the this great technology in. That actually clarified a lot. So if we think about it this way, is it safe to say that your AI machine is only as effective as the data it collects? <laughs> To an extent, correct. So its value can grow as the data amount and the volume and and the breadth of it grows. So you can start bringing value at, and and we design our software in that way too. You know, we see it as a range, right? If you have only a few sensors, of course, you're only going to be able to do so much with them. The more you invest into it, the more you can do, the, the better, you know, you can structure it all. And the same happens here. So it is a kind of a scale in terms of value that, that continues to be brought in kind of as you digitalize further. Um, so definitely. So let's talk about your company, Serta. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about it. How did it start? How did you start it? Uh, what was your, what was your, your aims, your goals, your hopes? Uh, how and where are you on your journey with, uh, with your company? <laughs> yeah, so uh, we started Serta in 2017. Um, I used to work at Magna prior to going into Asserta or starting Asserta. And um, after my time at Magna, I was working with uh, a couple of researchers at the University of Waterloo, uh, specifically looking at, you know, how can we leverage data 
that's becoming available across, uh, you know, the operations of various manufacturers to transform how they're approaching quality. Because even until this day, you know, now we're talking, you know, well, investing into sensory technology is, is um, expensive. However, you know, over decades and even now, you know, more and more investment is being made. So the amount of data that's becoming available is just growing exponentially with every year. But the challenge is that we're not using all of that to truly make decisions just yet. In some parts of the organizations, it's starting to happen. But quality is one area where I find to this day, there's a bit of a lack of trust in a lot of the technologies that are coming out. And, you know, as a result, we're still very manual when when we're talking about quality and and looking at reliability. Um, So a big thesis for us is how can we leverage the data that's becoming available across the life cycle of the vehicle to help manufacturers ensure quality, help monitor their operations, you know, in production to effectively, you know, find things that are going wrong and locate defects before they get into the products and before they get shipped um, out the door. And that's really what we've been focusing on uh, for the last uh, five years. Um, We're a company of nearly 40 people now um, and continuously growing. Ecosystem partners. What mm-hmm. can you tell me about some of the ecosystem partners you're working with? What, what are some of the sensors that can plug into your brain or your assertive yeah. brain, the AI brain? Yeah. So a lot of what we work with is, uh, for instance, um, manufacturing execution systems. So those are basically systems that are monitoring um, the execution of your whole line. So they're connected to the PLCs of each machine. They're routing uh, the parts through the line. And they typically collect some of the information about each part. So some of these track and trace providers we're working with companies like Red Viking on, on that and a couple of other MES providers. SCADA systems, so like Ignition are another one that's looking at execution on the line. And on top of that, we're connecting to certain uh, testing systems for, for every part. So a lot of what we do is precision parts. So transmissions, motors, you know, engines, batteries. So all of the testing data that's being collected um, when these parts are being tested. And then we really aggregate, you know, sometimes hundreds of sensory signals for just every part that's coming off the line. And uh, we're able to understand, you know, what's happening to every part. And if there's an issue, you know, identify exactly, you know, which operation, what sensory signal, and how can maybe the manufacturer control better that signal to make sure that the parts are not ending up with, let's say, too much noise at the end of the production. So you've heard, I've heard these terms, artificial intelligence and machine learning used almost interchangeably. Are they the same thing? Oh, that's a great question. I'd say uh, machine learning is probably, I would say maybe a subset of all that AI can be and do. AI is really, you know, and There's, of course, a lot of debate theoretically, you know, because AI is technically intelligence and intelligence means, you know, to many people, a very general intelligence. But I would say that we're not at a point yet where we can very generically apply intelligence easily and truly replicate the brain. You know, when when I think of AI, we're thinking, you know, neural networks, things that are maybe 
a bit more complex as opposed to, you know, certain more kind of uh, traditional machine learning approaches. So I'd say it's really a subset that a machine learning is when it compares to all of AI. And AI is really this uh, more complex, more capable set of solutions, but also a harder to understand set of solutions. And I'll just give us, uh, you know, an example like when we're dealing with uh, and working with, you know, engineers on the line, a lot of the a lot of, of what it takes to build trust in the technology is the ability to understand what it's doing. And machine learning, you can understand what it's doing. With AI and neural networks, much harder to understand what they're doing. And so, you know, you're always kind of hitting that element of, you know, do I have and use explainable solutions or do I put in black box, but super capable ones, but that, you know, a lot of people on the line might not trust right away. Um, Greta, are you a Star Trek fan? I have watched some Star Trek, but (laughs) not a ton. (laughs) So the reason I ask is because Mm -hmm. you mentioned the the term neural network. Mm -hmm. And I remember that, you know, when I was watching The Next Generation growing up, Mm -hmm. you know, preteen, Lieutenant Commander Data said that it was said that he had a neural network in his brain. Can you explain to me what exactly, because I remember hearing that term back in the late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. and now it seems like we're making neural networks. Like what, mm. what is a neural network? <laughs> That's a great, I, I, I think the reason it's called neural is because it, it mimics in my understanding. And again, you know, I'm also not a neuroscientist, but uh, so, some of the ways that the brain axons work is that they have this electrical activation. And, you know, it's a big network of various, you know, these um, nodes in, in our brain and a neural network, an artificial one, tries to replicate that to, to some extent. So it has a variety of nodes that have activation functions that mimic the way a brain's axons or whatnot would be activating or neurons, I guess, would be activating as well. And there's, but, you know, because it's an artificial one, we can use different ways that we can force the activation. We can put different weights against certain activations, but generally uh, I'd say the artificial ones to try to mimic that uh, network of neurons that are all activating and calculating something at different times. So I guess <laughs> that's kind of what was meant there, but it's, and, and to that extent, that's why it's such complicated technology because, you know, because of that network, you know, complexity. That's why it's not very easy to understand, you know, what is a neural network, artificial one picking up? How is it making decisions? You just need to kind of almost rely that you've given it enough data that it isn't biased and that it's learned the right things. But understanding exactly what it learned, exactly how it learned, it's going to, it's very complicated. Well, we're rounding the corner on an hour and I want to be mm-hmm. cognizant of that. And, um, I just wanted to quickly ask, what's next for you? What's next for Asserta? What's next? Yeah, um, you know, a big focus today is uh, we're we're bringing this type of analytics technology into production line lines. As I mentioned, you know, we see this whole this whole transition for the industry as a journey. Um, so, a big element that we're focusing today on are, you know. How do we make our technology human-friendly? How do we make sure that engineers on the line trust it, can use it, and can drive 
derive value from it. So that's one. And second, of course, is intuitiveness of the solution. One big learning we've had over the last few years, you know, is that the way a data scientist or a machine learning engineer looks at the data is very different from how an automotive or production engineer might look at the data. And bridging the gap between those two worlds is really how we will make this technology uh, more, um, more or adopted faster uh, within the industry. So today, what we're truly focusing on is how do we create this intuitive set of solutions that's leveraging machine learning and AI to bring insights at the fingertips of the engineers in production. Um, today, we're started, and of course, we're still focusing on automotive and off-highway vehicles, but a big element, and uh, you kind of alluded to it earlier in the presentation or in, in, the, in our discussion, uh, but, you know, what are the next set of industries that we might take this to as well? Because, you know, discrete manufacturing is in multiple industries, not just automotive. So we're truly thinking around, you know, how do we get this into the hands of um, aerospace manufacturers, maybe other sets of manufacturers like robotics or medical devices. Um, so that's definitely one element uh, that we're considering. But um, that, that's kind of bringing some of that excitement. And uh, yeah, whatever we do and however we augment our technology, you know, we always want to make sure it's human friendly and it's helping engineers make better decisions um, faster. I feel as though this episode... I was a little, I feel like I learned more from this one than I did from the other one, maybe because I did the other one first and now I've learned more. This has been very informative. One of my key takeaways from this is the fact that now I realize that in order for AI to work properly, you need large data sets. You need lots of data mm -hmm. and it works better with the more data you have. Mm -hmm. The more and the better density and the better value of it is. Of course, you know, there's tons of uh, research going into how do we use small amounts of data to kickstart AI. And uh, I think we can start doing that once we can leverage more transferability of the learning. But today, it, uh, it still really is, you know, we, we, we need better data sets because it ultimately, you know, AI is as good as the data that, that it uh, can work against. I like that. I think that's a good one to close on. The AI is only as good as the data that, that it gets fed. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Greta, thank you so much for chatting with me again today. Um, this has been very informative. I, I do understand it more now, and I, I definitely, and I hope others will too, because if this technology, and I'm speaking to the audience at large, if this technology will work for you, then now's the time to get in on it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Greta, thank you so much. Thanks, Nick. It's a pleasure.